Welcome to the HS Health Tech Podcast, bringing you the latest in health and technology through interviews with disruptive startups and leaders. Subscribers get a new episode every Thursday at 6pm, and I'm your host, James Summary. Hi guys, hope you're doing well this week and all staying safe. So we're still getting our heads around the coronavirus, aren't we? So we're all newly locked down in the UK, we're all getting used to remote working, and as we heard on the last episode with Amon, the front line's preparing in almost military style for what seems like a war on coronavirus and this huge influx of patients they're expecting strain on resources. And to talk more about both the clinical and the technology implications, I have with me this week Dr. Lydia Yarlett. So Lydia is a community paediatrician. She's also founder of the communication app Pando, which is a communication tool for health and social care. And that essentially gives clinicians a replacement for WhatsApp, along with some extra functionality, making it absolutely ideal for primary care, secondary care, tertiary care, to allow clinicians to talk to each other about patients, about cases, etc., and to keep that flow of information going in challenging times as we are in at the moment. So we do chat about how they are in that business of exchange and flow of information and how it is so important. We talk about how Pando are helping. We talk about identity as a doctor and the privilege and responsibility that come along with that right now, something close to my heart as someone looking to return to help on the front line. Lydia talks about what it's like in paediatrics right now and particularly in community paediatrics where she is a lot of at-risk children. And we talk about innovation and that's at a time like this and how things are changing so quickly uh, and might change in the future for innovation too. So enjoy this episode. So Lydia, welcome to the HS Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thanks. It's a very nice sunny day outside, but obviously inside today, not working in my clinical job. Um, so Indeed. me and my partner is sharing a flat. Oh God. Yeah, that's the that's the challenge at the minute, isn't it? We're all uh, we're all cooped up inside, but I suppose that's uh, a small price to pay for you guys on the front line right now. Yes, yes. Um, so I'm a I'm a paediatrician and I also founded um, Pando, um, but I work part time. So this is one of my Pando days, which is a really great contrast, actually. Um, yeah. I'm currently in a in a community job with with um, pediatrics, which is is very interesting to see how we're responding to what's going on at the moment you know i think every different arm of healthcare is facing different challenges it's re- it's really tough isn't it i mean it'd be interesting for for i guess our listeners to know a bit more about your clinical stuff but then obviously loads more about about pando and, and all the stuff that you're doing which i've heard about on the on the grapevine as to what you guys are doing to help with the crisis but yeah tell tell us all a bit more about about you the paediatrician to begin with and then I suppose yeah launching to tell us about about how you founded Pando on the back of it. Yeah sure um it was one of those ideal combinations of of skills I think when I met my partner I was a junior doctor working in a big London hospital at the time um and he had founded a, a couple of other health tech businesses um, and really, we just started talking about how archaic communications in the NHS were and how much they were slowing down the delivery of healthcare. And we decided to do something about it together. 
Um, so that's where this all started. We used to be called Forward, um, genuinely because we considered our, our product to be for the ward, you know, for the average junior doctor. I didn't know that. I didn't know that's where that came from. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's really interesting. I was like, I was thinking it was because you're forward thinking or something on those lines or that you're forwarding healthcare, but no. <laughs> well, I guess it had a few kind of um, nice alternative meanings. Um, <laughs> that's me with my PR hat on yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes but but no that's that's where it originated and um we we joined to, together with our third co-founder Barney who's also a doctor right at the beginning of this back in 2017 um really just experimenting with whether there was a better way to do communication so we knew that most of our colleagues were quite reliant on workarounds such as WhatsApp um, as an alternative to the very clunky bleep system. Um, and we started Pando really to be a very kind of simple, bespoke WhatsApp replacement for clinicians. So with a searchable directory where you could find colleagues based on their job role, not just their name. Um, you could create a, a group and communicate securely about patients and exchange patient details. Yeah. Um, and back then, it was actually quite revolutionary, the idea, especially for hospitals and organizations to have um, patient data available to clinicians on their own devices. You know, this bring your own device policy policies is something we've only started hearing about in the last year or a couple of years maximum. Yeah. Um, and I guess I was always clear that I was primarily a clinician, so I wanted to be a doctor my whole life. And it's, as I'm sure many people listening to this feel, it's a very intrinsic part of your identity being a medic. Um, you've often kind of grown up from the age of like, 16, choosing your A-levels or even earlier than that with this idea that that's the profession you, you, you want to be part of. Um, and it was, Pando was, was really about making my and my colleagues' working lives a little bit easier. So that's where the idea came from. And I guess the evolution of that company has been really interesting because and very, very humbling actually. So you imagine what you, it's very easy to envisage what you might need as a junior doctor, for example, like, oh, I can never get hold of the orthopedic registrar on call, mm. or um, I need to contact my consultant to escalate something to them or my registrar is off site. But um, you don't necessarily imagine what all the challenges are in all the other areas of healthcare. You know, we have um, an increasingly complex system for looking after patients with ever more professionals involved. I think I saw something that the average number of professionals looking after a patient in a single admission is around 40. And all these people need to talk to each other. All these people need to exchange information. People are ever more specialized. Um, you know, there are subspecialties and sub-subspecialties. And people really need to be able to access that, that advice and expertise instantly. And I guess we'll come on more to talk about that when we talk about the, the current crisis that's going on. Um, so it's been really interesting to have this tool set out there into the wild and, and see, you know, what's what's really 
become of it and how people are using it. Um, and I find some of the stories really amazing. You know, critical care transfer, for example, hospital to hospital communication, managing the patient before they get to that tertiary centre. Everything from kind of that level of care to a GP trying to assess whether somebody um, needs to have a home visit or not, or whether an occupational therapist should should get involved with the patient. Um, we have a big team of people looking after patients in, in one of our centres in, in Croydon, where they're basically trying to avoid admissions to hospital. So elderly, generally, frail, vulnerable people, having home visits by different professionals, communicating on Pando, working out how they can best keep those people safe. Um, and, you know, countless other examples, but I, I guess that's what's been really fascinating for me is getting this kind of um, bird's eye view of how our healthcare system works through mm. this tool that we've built. That is really interesting, actually, because it's obviously you're in the business of of the exchange and the flow of information, which you know, as you say, in the current crisis, could not be more relevant. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned you mentioned a few of those things there, you know, critical care transfer and and GPs assessing home visits. You know, two vastly different use cases there. And it, I, I suppose it strikes me with you guys that as we move from an old system of care, which is that patient attends the doctor the doctor tells them what to do in a very autocratic way and as we've moved from that into this new system which is that shared decision making lots of clinicians involved lots of teams lots of people as you say you know 40 people per patient it seems that over time the the importance of the flow of information between both clinicians and each other but also clinicians and the patients has increased over time hugely but uh, but has accelerated recently and if you look you know really micro has really accelerated over the past two weeks and the importance of that flow of information i mean has has that been reflected in what you've seen on the ground floor from a pediatrician's perspective or through your career but actually also in the last two weeks if that makes sense yes I think, you know, we've, we've, we've managed so far in the NHS with the communication systems that are available to us, but it often, as all of us who are clinicians know, um, creates a, a huge kind of inefficiencies. Um, we are reliant on, on specialty care, and so we should be. The MDT is, is, a, is a great model. Um, clearly, you know, it does become more important to trim the fat out of that system as yeah. it becomes more crucial that people exchange information quicker. And one of the things about Pando is the way that people can communicate incredibly flexibly. You can communicate sending a message to a group as you're running down a corridor to see the next patient. Um, we've created some, some quite interesting features recently. So something called forums where you can set a a topic and anybody from the healthcare profession body can join that forum to discuss that topic. So that's something that we're seeing um, for many, many topics, but particularly coronavirus at the moment. And it's, it's really, really important because information is coming out literally on an hourly basis sometimes. It really is, yeah. 
it's 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 really incredible to watch and i think i think you know just absolutely credit to those commissions that are that are working in intensive cares and anes and infectious diseases um but the rest of the healthcare system need that information almost as fast so that they can do that triage process make those re referrals really quickly know what the up-to-date guidance is so we desperately need a way of connecting those like really key departments who are going to be bearing the absolute brunt of, of this pandemic with the, the other clinicians in the system. We're going to need things like rapid deployment of staff from one area to another, rapid deployment of resources. Um, and I guess going back to the, that incredibly varied use case that we're seeing with Pando, we, we're also getting a lot of organizations using it to communicate with clinicians to give them status updates essentially Interesting. So this guidance might have come out this afternoon you know they want to get it out to their staff this afternoon new guidance on ppe um symptomatology so recently it's it's been noted that a loss of sense of smell is an important yeah. symptom for coronavirus um, and that's been circulated very quickly. And it's tools like Pando that are allowing that to happen. The issues with um, WhatsApp, although it's a great tool and it's obviously been so important in major incidents and events um, during the last three years, is are that these, these groups tend to be closed, right? So if you're part of a WhatsApp group for intensive care doctors or infectious disease doctors, it's not possible for me as a pediatrician to ask your advice or join that group. So that's what Pando allows people to do. Oh, there are closed and open groups and you can ask advice of those open groups. And it sounds really simple, but it's something that we just don't have at the moment. We don't have a good way of crowdsourcing information or disseminating information quickly. Hospitals can broadcast information to all of their staff members via Pando. And this is proving quite important. I mean, just, just for context, we've, um, we've grown from around 28,000 clinicians about 10 days ago to 38,000 clinicians on the platform oh, wow. this week. Um, we've had an equivalent rise in volume of messaging. And that's just really telling us that people are looking for ways to share and to receive information quickly. Um, and I guess, you know, it's a, it's a real privilege to be able to help with something like this. Um, it's also a, a big responsibility, <laughs> you know, mm. we've, we, it's actually creating messaging software is no mean feat. So I didn't know anything about technology when I started in this company. I still don't really know anything about technology, um, <laughs> but I've had to come to terms with the fact that it's software is difficult to build. You know, good software is very expensive, time consuming. We've got a team of 30. And our team's been that size for almost a year. Wow. And, and, you know, we still have the occasional bug that needs fixing. We have the occasional kind of issue at the, at the back end. Yeah. Um, and reliability is, is just like ever, ever more important. Um, but it feels, it feels like 
such a big thing when when this is going on and you know that people are relying on your platform you know we've absolutely doubled down on all of that infrastructure that we need in order to make this something that people can feel really safe using I mean, it's all about trust basically and we've got a huge amount of, of trust in the platform at the moment people are using it because they feel safe using it they feel safe exchanging patient information on it they feel safe exchanging crucial information with their colleagues and I guess you know the weight of that has been sinking in mm -hmm. over the last couple of weeks we've got we've got a big job on our hands yeah absolutely I think <clears throat> excuse me there's um a few words that you used there which I, th I think are really interesting I mean the first one was privilege that you, it's interesting that you say it's a privilege to be able to help and I think you must feel that both from a clinical perspective and I suppose the technical perspective with Pando and you talk about responsibility that comes along with that you talk about trust as well obviously people needing to trust in the platform I suppose in a similar way that they need to you know put that trust in you as a clinician it's interesting these words coming up in and, and you see it don't you in times of in times of crisis people are actually coming together to to do this it, it seems like there's there's an overwhelming sense of good in the world which is coming up underneath this stuff that there seems to be a bit of union and a bit of everyone pulling together and I think we've always felt that in the NHS anyway haven't we of, yeah. of, of you know being at four in the morning on those shifts when it's just super busy and there's people crashing and all this sort of stuff and you feel you feel that that coming together at moments like that and it really feels like we're in one of those at the moment particularly it's interesting because the words that you've mentioned there you know privilege responsibility trust it's not the it's not by any means the first or even the tenth time i've heard those words even this week mm. we're only on wednesday you know it's interesting that that's coming out i mean talk to me a little bit about that privilege that you feel both both as a clinician and, and from the technical perspective then so obviously I'm interested to hear what it's like for you on the ground floor at the moment in pediatrics. I mean, are kids getting this at the moment? Um, especially if you're in community pediatrics as well, is, is this, is this something being looked at in the community Are the things that you are doing from a clinical perspective out there, but also I suppose from a, from a technical perspective. Yeah. I mean, um, this pandemic obviously is leaving no service and no body untouched. Mm. Um, I, I'm currently trying to identify along with my bosses community um so children in the community who are at risk of this and ensuring that they self-isolate and that their families self-isolate appropriately uh, of course because you'll be you'll be seeing the at-risk kids won't you in community peds yes exactly yeah. i mean it it's going to obviously the collateral damage in in every area of society is going to be huge but if you imagine the most vulnerable children both from a, a sort of family stability point of view, from a medical point of view, from a care needs point of view. Um, Self-isolation is not easy. Staying at home is not easy. Not receiving the level of support that they normally do from social services, from um, you know multidisciplinary services like occupational therapy, physiotherapy. It, it's going to have enormous, enormous negative repercussions for these families. So we're trying to mitigate that at the moment. Um, pediatrics in, in general has obviously suffered from a lack of staff. So a, a huge number of staff have been off sick because they have symptoms or mm. they are self-isolating. That's been the main effect on the service so far because fortunately children do not seem to suffer with coronavirus in the same yeah, way that adults. That's what I've heard. 
Yes, um, and essentially one of our jobs is, is freeing up more space and more people for potentially moving over into adult medicine. And I think um, the vast majority of us would be happy to be deployed wherever we're most needed. I guess this is a, this is a funny time because it's, it's a total limbo. We're not at the stage where hospitals are overflowing yet. Um, but we expect to be at that stage. That's what everybody has agreed. Yeah. Um, and therefore, I think everybody's jobs are going to probably change on a certainly weekly, probably daily basis. And this, this again, is why I'm, I'm such a passionate advocate of good communication, because that leaves me with a real sense of uncertainty. Um, I don't know exactly what the status is in hospitals unless it, it's that information is, is coming to me directly from other colleagues. Um, and I think Pando would be if it was rolled out, for example, across the whole of London, we're quite widespread in London, but um, not fully penetrated, then we could do amazing things like um, pull people from services where perhaps there, there is less demand to services where there is more demand and work less on that trust and organisational level, but more on that um, regional, national level, which I think is something that we're going to need to do. If yeah, it is interesting that because, um, yeah, I just filled in the questionnaire that was sent out to the uh, doctors that might want to return because I rescinded yeah. my license in November 2017, so I fall within oh, the three wow. years that I could yeah. go back. So, um, and I was talking about this on the on the episode yesterday. I suppose it'll be the last episode that, that's up um, with Amon, who's a, an ICU doctor and and another digital health guy. But yeah, no, it's interesting because I was wondering what the what the process is likely to be for mm-hmm. the deployment of those doctors. I mean, they did. They they made you put down where you'd worked before because they said they wanted to uh, yes. put you where where you've worked before so that you might know the system and stuff I suppose but um, seemingly there is going to have to be that and I suppose for you guys that as you as you rightly say there is a point at which you've got critical mass where it would unlock a huge amount of stuff that you could do knowing that those broadcasts go out to all of the doctors or you know 90 percent whatever it is i suppose there is a critical mass there of like well actually uh, that at that point now we can really start doing some good and you're probably over the tipping point of then everybody getting on it because you're, you're better off with it than without it sort of thing yeah um, i mean it's really interesting this this week you know the phone has rung probably two or three times a day within yeah. the hospital wanting to deploy pando and I'm, I'm really pleased actually because that that's them being really quite proactive so whilst we're not in in the absolute full um full effects of this pandemic it is still the time to prepare it's oh, still yeah. the time to make sure that these systems are in place um and it, you know just going back to what you said actually i i completely agree with you the sense of coming together the sense of camaraderie and i guess that's what i was getting at by um suggesting that we we should aim for more collaboration across trusts and organizational borders um but i think that there is the sense that you know everybody just wants to help with this um and that everybody will will pretty much do whatever it is in their capacity to do that 
and regarding the coming back to to work as a clinician we've got an interesting interesting situation in our company because we've got a huge workload compared to even what we had two weeks ago but we also have clinicians who until two or three years ago were working in the nhs system and obviously that that's it's entirely up to them where, where they decide to deploy themselves during this crisis um at the moment we're seeing so so much um demand for pando that they they're absolutely flat out there getting users going getting yeah. things up and running but you know that these these things could all change um and i think as a as a company we would like to help in any way we can and that that may mean you know, making sure that those people have that opportunity to to go and do clinical work if that's the thing that mm. is most required i think you're right i think it's it's yeah it's a personal de- it's a very personal decision i find actually about the the return to the to the uh the front Absolutely. line i think it's um it's yeah it's one of that because you can as the individual i suppose you can justify that in a number of ways because you could you, you could think well if if i'm if i'm going to measure up the impact that i'm making here actually my position in this company and the things that this company are doing well actually i'm far better placed here doing this than i would be yeah. answering the phones doing some triage and actually i can make more impact doing this than that and i think that's that's ultimately the the decision for, for those individuals to make if they are indeed impact driven you know and i think um it's good it's good from you guys that obviously you're giving people that choice to to do all that stuff and i know i know for me personally it's if it, it's like i don't know you'll get this as a clinician and, and as a clinician that's part-time and doing other stuff but it's back to what you said originally about identity i think a little bit which is mm-hmm. i still house some of my identity in being a doctor i still leave the yeah, r in front of my yeah. name i got ten thousand yeah. hours i can talk very confidently about mm-hmm. what it's like to be a clinician working and delivering mm-hmm. bad news looking after the dying you know saving life like all that stuff i've done and it's still very much part of my identity and i mm-hmm. i just think with all those skills and with that identity it's like i wouldn't even say it, it it's like it's not begrudging and going back and like oh i suppose i should go back because it's more just like i i feel that i can do so much on the front line and i need to go and do that because otherwise it doesn't really fit with who i think i am do you know does that make any sense yes no it does it does and i i, I think that's amazing I guess what's what's quite difficult is the, the sort of unpredictability of, of the situation, right? Um, yeah. It, you know, it's it's who knows what's coming in the next weeks to months. Who knows how long it will go on for? And I suppose as a company, you know, we're really we're preparing ourselves for a marathon rather mm. than sprint. Um, you know, we don't just want to get this out to clinicians within the next few weeks. We want to. to make sure that this this has the kind of stamina and the capacity yeah to be part of the infrastructure for the next year and the years to come yeah because you know the the fallout from on that just the healthcare system as a result of this is going to be huge because so many routine appointments routine surgeries like surveillance is is going to go by the wayside and people's health needs are going to drastically go up as a result yep yep I think what's fascinating along those lines is 
the barriers to innovation coming down as well. I think with the yeah. with the rise in demand, there's a there's there seems to be a relaxing of what people might have been against, or seems to be a relaxing of of what might have got through previously. It just seems that at the moment there's more appetite for look. If you can come in and solve a problem, let's just get it through. And you know, many opinions that might have been there previously seem to have have been superseded by the desire to actually deliver care at scale. Which, for those of us in in tech, I suppose, have, have always thought, always believed that is what can be achieved if everyone mm, opens themselves mm. up to it and i think the danger with that is always you know what if it breaks what if it doesn't work you know what if it does this what if it does that but i think the the what if scenarios there's there's far less of them that are worse than what if we let coronavirus come in and just wreak havoc and don't, yes. we don't do any don't, yes. don't do any tech in response you know so i think yes. that 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 seems to be can no, you say it, a positive i don't know it, 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 well it's, it's so a silver hard. lining it's, i suppose to a cloud it's like you know it's almost too early to say what the silver linings are going to be mm, and even sort of, sort of mention them because it's obviously such an absolutely appalling global disaster um but i guess you absolutely are right and in, in history obviously many people have said this the periods of accelerated innovation tend to correlate with extremely adverse circumstances Interesting. like yeah. a war second world war first world war chemotherapy x-rays um yeah. <laughs> there's an unbelievable number of of innovations um and I guess we have spent, you know, a couple of years working with the NHS, which is a, which is a wonderful organisation. I am I'm proud to work for it, and I wouldn't want to work for any other healthcare system. I I love the fact that I can treat a patient free at the point of care, and I don't have to worry about any of their background. It's just you know them and what's wrong with them. Um, which is so different to almost every other healthcare system in the world. But they do have a habit of saying no to things that look risky, to things that look new. And I've never thought that we can afford to do that because the the price that we pay for that kind of slowness is so high. And it's high in terms of physician and clinician morale as well. Um, you know, it's dreadful to have to work with technology that you feel like it is, you know, 10 years out of date, slowing you down, um, maddeningly frustrating. But I, I think that there isn't a choice now. We yeah. move as fast as we can. And, you know, for, for technology and its penetration through these solid walls of hospitals that is going to be a a really genuinely good thing it's funny isn't it that just overnight it seems like yeah this isn't good enough anymore (laughs) yeah this system that we've been moaning about for years yeah it actually won't stand up in the face of of what's about to hit um (laughs) so actually yeah let's just let's just actually change it now and i'm i'm not gonna put up all the barriers that i did before it's interesting yeah the let's let's hope that some of this that gets through does work and work very well and actually sticks and i hope i hope just some of those barriers to innovation come down semi-permanently in the future and i think there always needs to be barriers for regulation and you know business modeling and all the rest of it it is still obviously extremely important and it goes without saying but i think 
you know, having run an accelerator for the NHS in digital mm-hmm. and all the rest of it, you know, the amount of times that we've spoken to these organizations and watched mm-hmm. startups try and make their case. And then it just happens mm-hmm. to be that someone says no. Yes. It, 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 it's interesting to, to, and I guess I'm optimistic that something in that might change in the future. I, I, oh, I certainly yeah. hope that things are looked at differently. I guess it's like a reset button, isn't it? Yeah. The saying about society, but I think that's what it's like, going to be like for the NHS as well. And you know, one sort of philosophy that we've always had at Pando is that um, everybody uses the buzzword of integration, right? Everybody mm. asks us initially as they evaluate our platform, do we integrate with X, Y, Z? And you know, not that we're not all for integration, and that's the way forward. Um, we don't purposefully integrate with any other healthcare software at the moment. And that is because, to be honest, they don't come up to our standards for ergonomic user, um, basically friendliness. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) If you have to have, you know, a a half day training course to use a piece of software, then in my opinion, it shouldn't be in circulation. Yeah. And we we basically decided to that we were going to build something good, um, fit for the 21st century for 2020. And that we weren't going to compromise on that. Um, And I think it's it's quite interesting now that um, we've had a a number of organizations talk about using our patient card system. So it's a very, very lightweight way of keeping track of who you're looking after, a bit like a handover list, right? Hmm. So you can scan a patient's wristband and get their demographics into the app. And then if you want to discuss that patient or add some notes, you can drop them into a conversation. You can add images and comment on the images all within the app safely. Um, and that's a lightweight um, way of, of keeping track of what's going on with, with your, your personal or your team caseload. We'd never call it a patient record because it's not. And the patient record is, is something that the, the trust keeps separately. But um, these, this feature ha- is now being discussed as a, a way of minimizing administrative burden for staff so that they can share the information that other staff need to see without having to engage with those really clunky difficult to use it systems Mm. and i I just think that's a that's a fascinating change because we're 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 moving from a very kind of um, administrative heavy bureaucratic system to actually some a system that needs to be as lightweight and flexible as possible whilst still remaining safe yeah and it's it's interesting making the decision to sit outside of it as well from an interoperability perspective or integration as you called it you know it's it's an interesting decision to make because actually honestly the the phone call before this one i was on was about this exact uh i suppose philosophy or decision of you know do we integrate or do we do we sit outside because actually if we if we start integrating then we have to comply and the shackles are on and we have to Uh, you know it slows us down and it means that the ux isn't going to be as good it means it's not as sticky and it's sort of like well you've kind of answered your own question there i mean you've got to you've you've got to stick outside if you're focused on the user and you're focused on delivering what is the 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 most 
usable, um, the most fantastic UX UI possible, it seems that often that is the decision that, have, that, that, that has to be made. I mean, obviously there's APIs and bits that Bob's you can do to, to pull the data if, if, if needs be and all the rest of it. But it seems that for that really pure um, UX UI, it, it seems like it has to be often, often built outside. Um, which is a which I think it, you know in the, in the context of what we've got going on at the moment globally, that what you need is speed, what you need is usability, and what you need is it for it to work, and you need it to be yeah. as as good as possible for the users, because otherwise it's not going to it's not going to be as useful as possible. I think that seems to be the, yes. the most appropriate goal. Exactly. What What's really interesting is that healthcare workers have never been allowed to choose the software that they, they want to use, right? Because they are not the buyers. Right, exactly. So uh, again, you know, one of our um, principles at Pando is that um, they are the consumers, right? This is a consumer product and if it's not good enough, they're going to stop using it because it's not mandated it's yeah. up to you whether you decide to download this on your personal phone and use it to talk to your colleagues. Um, and I guess that's, that's creating, you know, essentially a, a new market, which means that people have, have choices and have, you know, power to not buying power because the app is free, but buying power in terms of, um, it, uh, uh, you know, other factors. Um, and I guess, that's the model of healthcare, I, healthcare technology I would like to see. It's the, the frontline, coal-facing clinician giving feedback on, on the product. And mm. the most clear piece of feedback is whether you use something or whether you don't. Absolutely. Completely, completely agree. And just because I, I know that there's going to be people listening now that you've said it that are like, well, how do they make money? I mean, how, how, do, you guys, how do you guys pay the bills? Sure. Um, so we, we are backed by investors and we have been right since the start of this. Mm. Um, and that's because they see a value beyond delivering messaging. So they, they believe, as we believe, that this will become part of the infrastructure that's needed to deliver healthcare. Yeah. We, at the moment, are, are free to the user and we must be. Like we're some of us are ex clinicians and some of us are ex nurses, ex pharmacists. We just cannot imagine charging doctors and nurses for <laughs> all that they need Absolutely. to do for work. So that's out of the question. Um, we do have premium features. So we have, um, for example, a, a desktop version yeah and special um broadcasting permissions for example whereby you can easily contact your whole hospital uh, i was referring to that when i talked about the covid response that are available to trust if they want to pay for them this is an evolving and you know early business model it, it's interesting because <laughs> we 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 set this up purely to solve a problem right hmm. and we believed that focusing on that problem would deliver value and that hmm. that value would eventually translate into a sustainable business hmm. it's a model that's often used to just capture the user base and and find the ways to monetize later and 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 I'm sure there's plenty in the pipeline, um, you know, very common. And actually, as you quite rightly say, just by going in and solving such a big problem, there are plenty of ways that you can monetize after that and remain sustainable and all the rest of it. I mean, once you capture, um, the, as, as we were talking about before, you know, the critical mass of, of the people using this, there's, 
oh my god i mean there's any multitude of things that you could do at that level yeah um it's probably you know a blessing and a curse being partly clinician founded because i think you know (laughs) tend to be terribly business minded (laughs) fortunately we have a good combination and um you know you're obviously talking to to me i'm the clinical co-founder and i'm really quite obsessed with making something good for frontline of course workers not that i don't want this and not that it won't go everywhere um, outside of the uk um but i guess this is this is really where our heart is yeah company so what our what our soul is um so that's something that we can we can never compromise on but i'm confident that that somebody said to me the other day building a good business is about translating your values into valuables i thought that was a really great statement actually it's it sums up what i'm trying to say which is if you stick to your principles and you make something that you know people need then that will turn out to have value in the future Mm. um Many people listening to this might think that's extremely naive and who knows, they might be right. <laughs> we <laughs> might be out of business in a year. <laughs> Somehow I doubt it. <laughs> but yes, um, I, I, I guess, again, going back to the, the, the privilege to work with the NHS in whatever circumstances, particularly in the circumstances we're surrounded by today, and also the um, having clinicians at, at the core of your company, who ultimately care about patients, right? This is mm. ultimately what this business is about as well. Um, there are some things that we just can't compromise on. And I think every, every company, no matter what the business or the, the industry, should probably have that kind of structure in place because it, some decisions just become really easy. When you're value-based, absolutely, completely agree. And I suppose on those lines, then, for the for the people listening, obviously, to sort of ground us back into the into where we are in the world right now, and the, and the bits and bobs going on, and and the, the the strain that's about to hit the healthcare system. For the for the clinicians listening, um, for the hospital managers listening, even and potentially even some patients that might be listening. I mean, what's your, what's your message there about what it is that you guys do and how it is that you can help right now and what would they need to do to get in touch with you? Sure, absolutely. Um, so first of all, Panda is available free for anyone with an NHS email address. If um, another professional feels that they want to use the platform and they have another domain name then we can look into making that available for them as well so for example a local authority um so that's the first thing to say is if if you're listening and you think this would be a useful tool for your organization please do download it give it a go um, make sure that um, what I'm telling you about it being useful is actually true. <laughs> um, I guess the, the, this, the second thing in response to this, this crisis is that clinicians, frontline clinicians are, are not desktop based, right? So if you're looking for communication software, I'm not saying you should necessarily choose Pando. I would love you to choose Pando, but make sure you choose something that is actually viable for a frontline clinician running around treating patients, donning and doffing PPE, Mm -hmm. um, going from department to department. And 
we think that that is mobile software. So we think that's something in your hand that comes up with a notification that you can read instantly and that that is the fastest and most flexible way of disseminating information. Um, so that's why we've, we've created the platform and that's why we think that we're an important part of the response to this, this pandemic. I guess emphasizing the, the security aspects. So these can be found in, in detail on our website and also by contacting us. Um, but we have engaged with information governance at the highest level in the NHS. Um, we are um, DSP, GDPR compliant. And if anybody needs to clarify that, then they be highly encouraged to get in touch with us from an organizational level. In terms of specific things that Pando can do, so Pando can send messages to an entire organization, disseminate information to an entire organization. Pando can connect your key departments like A&E, ITU and infectious disease with the rest of the hospital, making it easy to ask those people for advice and guidance or to get updates about bed status, for example. So it's essentially a, a best practice sharing tool that allows people to coordinate resources and that includes staff and make sure that information flows freely from one department or one trust or one organization to another. Does that make sense? Makes a lot of sense. And I suppose the, the last thing to say from my point of view is it sounds like you guys are doing great work. It sounds like, um, the, as I said, you know, very early on, you know, being in the business of the exchange and the flow of information, it seems like now is a time more than ever that the exchange and flow of information is extremely valuable on the front line of healthcare. I think for you guys that, and as you quite rightly point out, there are various communication tools available, um, some of which have been on this podcast, I think, even. So I think there are plenty of opportunities Absolutely. for people to have a look around and shop around. But um, for you guys being in the pocket of the clinician on their own device, genuinely running around and being able to you know, communicate with each other in a way that actually fits the, the front line of healthcare, it sounds like you guys are, uh, you've built it, it's purpose built, isn't it, basically for that. So it yeah. sounds to me like if there's, if there are any hospitals listening that are preparing for um, the the uptick in in COVID nineteen patients, that it's definitely worth giving Lydia a shout. So, Lydia, um, what is the best way for people to contact either you or the Pando team if they're interested in, um, in interested in getting the software? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, on our website, there are contact details. Um, there is a contact portal and one of our team will get back to you. Um, I am also very happy to be contacted directly through LinkedIn or um, th through my email, which is Lydia at hellopando.com. We're, we're really out to support as many people as we can during the next few weeks, months and potentially years while this crisis continues um, and you know beyond that as well I just emphasize as well that um, a lot of services will be working remotely will be having to reduce their reliance on administrative staff that's also something we can help with um, and I think that's a really important thing to to say actually because as we said acute services are obviously going to be 
overrun and demanding the the majority of people's time and effort um, less acute services are still extremely important still need to maintain a, a, a level of functionality um, and panda can can help panda can help with that amazing thank you lydia and i'm going to put the details uh, to get in touch with lydia and obviously all the details of pando in the description of this episode you can head there to find those right now so lydia thank you so much for coming on uh, i wish you all the best on the both on the front line and with uh, with pando to to help those clinicians with with doing their job in pretty challenging times so yeah thank you for sparing the time to come on and yeah i wish you all the best Oh, thanks, James. You too. And keep me updated as to what you end up doing. James. I will. I will certainly. Um, yeah, who knows? Who knows? I'm. Yeah, we'll wait to hear for back from NHS England or whoever that 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 uh, that questionnaire went to. But I'll uh, I'll certainly keep you updated. Thank you so much. Really good to chat to you, despite these circumstances. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Thanks, Lydia. Thank you so much. All right. Hey everybody and thanks for listening to this week's episode and making it all the way to the end. If you enjoyed it, remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow us on all of our socials so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.